And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast, another edition. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thanks for making us part of your day. That's right, I got the Gonzaga gear on. No, I didn't go to Gonzaga. I'm getting that question a lot. But I'm a Northwest guy, and this is a special edition. Um, lived in Spokane when I was young, and then went to school just across the, the border there into uh, northern Idaho. Kellogg, Idaho is where I went to high school. And then I went to college in Lewis and Clark State College, which is in the Lewis and Clarkson border in the basin there, the valley. We'll get to that later on in the show because all of this is very relevant this week because not only is Gonzaga on fire, but Joel Damon won. And he's from Clarkson, Washington. I can't wait to get to that and talk about that win to help me break it all down. He's back. Uh, popular demand, Mr. Daniel Rappaport, this time on the East Coast. That's right. That's right. I'm back in New York. I was in California for the winter, like a uh, a true snowbird, going 26 years old, go, going on 76. And now, as the as the weather turns, I'm I'm back in the back in the tri-state area for a little while. Well, you know Daniel's work with Golf Digest. You get him on Twitter at Daniel underscore Rappaport. He did such a good job on the Stripe Show there a month ago. I wanted to have him back and have two tournaments to talk about uh, this week because it was a split. Uh, Little double header here. We had Billy Horschel win uh, WGC, the Dell Technologies, and then of course Joel Damon wins for the first time the Corrales Putacana Resort Club and Championship. We'll get to Joel here in a second. That was fun to watch, and I think even maybe stole the show here. Um, strange enough uh, between these two tournaments, but Horschel wins uh, for the sixth time. So let me just start with this. It's a match play event. We don't get a lot of this. I'm curious, Daniel, your feelings on just match play in general. How do you feel? It's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was I was discussing this pretty much all weekend with with my editor because on Thursday and Friday and, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the group matches are awesome. They're awesome. Everyone's playing. Um, you have no idea what's going to happen. You get the Sunday pressure on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I remember when John Rahm made his putt to win his first round match. I can't remember exactly who was playing, but he was fist pumping. Yeah. And I and I mess and I messaged my messenger uh, my editor and I was like, this is amazing. I want to write a column saying that we we need more match play. He's like, you know. Let me just see how the weekend plays out. Then all the stars are gone, which in the moment was fun, right? It was like, this is mm -hmm. madness, you know, like only one of the top 20 advance. But I saw Jason Sobel, a tweet that he he sent out on Sunday that I thought really resonated with me. It's like an inverted pyramid of entertainment. The first couple of days, the first couple of days are awesome because everyone's playing. But then when you put all the pressure on one match on Sunday between Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, and Scotty Scheffler is a, a fun young player, but he's not a superstar, at least not yeah. yet. And Billy Horschel's not. And they played pretty poorly. The standard of golf was not great. I think there were like three or four birdies total. Two. In the whole match. Two birdies in the whole match. You're just flipping a coin, basically, with match play. So I, I love it the first couple of days. They're awesome. And I think we all kind of get caught up in the mania of match play is amazing. Why don't we have people saying, oh, let's have a major B match play. And then by Sunday, everyone was watching Corrales. So I think that tells you kind of what you need to know. <laughs> hey, I'll admit I was. I was watching Corrales. I was watching NCAA basketball. It was boring. I mean, it, it just – on Sunday, they were not playing good golf. Two birdies. I mean, Billy admitted it. Scotty admitted it. They were like – they looked gassed to me first and foremost. They looked tired. You know, when you start seeing that that hard left shot that Scotty was hitting, I mean, your legs are – you're toast. You start seeing a tour player like Billy Horschel miss the green with a wedge twice in nine holes into a bunker. That's – mental fatigue. I mean, it's just, you know, these guys are playing a lot of golf. You know, I walked away from it. I, I want to like match play. I do. I want to like it. I see it in the Ryder cup. I see it in college team formats, but outside of that, I don't like it. I just, I just don't like it. It's just not 
that fun for me to watch, being completely honest. Now, if it does for the next person, that so be it. But I went into it thinking like, okay, this new way, the round robin, I like it. Yeah, this is fun. I get to see more of the stars. And okay, I get it, just like you were saying. And then then we get towards the end, and it's like, this isn't fun. I don't know if the old way where it's just that true 64 single elimination is better. I don't know. I think in the end for me, I'm just kind of out on match plan. If I have to watch it before the Ryder Cup, it's going to be way too soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a lot of pressure on one match. You know, it's like when you have all these matches in the Ryder Cup, it's because a bunch of them are going on at the same time. Yeah. So if there's a, if there's a bad match, it can kind of fade from memory. And every match matters so much because it's all every every point counts for one point, even if the matches, you know, goes 23 holes, and the guy wins six and five. But it's kind of the same thing as like when you see these one off like the match when you had Tiger and Phil and it was kind of a dud because they didn't play. It's just a lot of pressure on one match. Yeah. And if yeah. the one match doesn't doesn't come through entertainment wise, you got nothing else to turn to. And there's so much dead time. I mean, so much dead time. They were doing their best to show every shot from both the consolation match and the finals match. But even that, you had four guys playing golf over a course of, you know, it took forever too. It was like five hours. So it's just, yeah, you're, you're, you're putting all your eggs into one, into one match's basket. And if, mm-hmm. if that doesn't come through, then you're just set for a pretty dull afternoon of television. Now, that's from the TV angle approach, the entertainment approach. The other side of it is just, you know, from a skill set approach, finding the best player. I get it. They, you know, one time they do the match play with WGC. It makes sense, you know, to do that from a perhaps a tournament skill set standpoint. But I always wonder, you know, match play, everybody admits that it kind of narrows the gap of skill set. There's more luck involved. The best player that week doesn't always win because you can run into a buzzsaw as Brian Harmon did against Patrick Cantley, for example. Um, if Harmon, if in the old way, he was gone. You know, he would have never made it through. He bounced back. I mean, the dude was unconscious for three days, Brian Harmon. Um, but he lost to Cantley, who beat him, by, you know, because he made, I think, eight, seven birdies and an eagle, and Harmon made eight birdies. It's crazy golf. But from a skill standpoint, I always wonder, like, look, match play, it's the best player is not always winning. So why is the U.S. amateur match play? You know, it's like there's 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 certain tournaments that to me, it's like if I'm trying to find the best player, just get him there and play it off stroke play uh, for three or four days and just do without match play unless in the team format where it does make sense to a Ryder Cup where you have multiple matches and, and say college, perhaps. Well, it's interesting because a lot of college tournaments and a lot of most of the big amateur tournaments are match play, you know, right. like usually usually there's I think it's like the Western and USAM and NCAAs. You know, it's it's a couple rounds of stroke play and then it's match play. Right. So so match play and especially in junior golf's the same way, it's a huge part of the golf journey until you get to the PGA tour. So it's kind of interesting. And it used it to is. be it used to be a much bigger part of professional golf. The PGA was match play. There were you know multiple tour events that were that were match play. It was kind of baked into the fabric of golf and it's just not anymore. Um, and like you said, like does the best team always win? The best guy doesn't always win. And there's a lot of variance, but, but that's the kind of the case in other sports too. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, tough, tough. I don't know if I can say the S word, but tough S on, you know, (laughs) like it happens in the NCAA tournament, you know, with with college basketball every year, like some team doesn't have to play, you know, they get to play an 11 seed in the elite eight. And that's just kind of, that's just kind of part of it. But in golf, you know, we're so attached to the meritocracy. We're so attached to, we need the best player to win every week that this idea of bringing dumb luck and variance into it, is like very foreign from the game. And I'm not saying that I think that's good or bad. It's just an interesting dynamic that we don't, we don't accept that in golf, whereas we accept it in basically every other sport. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I think Billy Horschel would admit on Sunday that he ran into two guys that were perhaps struggling a little bit worse than he was. You know, I mean, Victor struggled 
uh, in the first match. And then, I mean, Scheffler was clearly struggling in the latter match, um, hitting a lot of shots left. This guy couldn't make a putt. I mean, he, he could have set a ball down next to the ocean and not put it into the water. I mean, he just was, you know, he was just cold with the putter and Billy was playing just that much better, you know, just a little bit better. And the pitch in on five helped and, and those kinds of things. So Porcel wins six wins. You take nothing away from his win. I mean, this guy grinded for four straight days. He won six matches for crying out loud. He only lost one. So he played some very good golf, albeit um, through the week. And I was doing some research, you know, with six wins. Now we know Billy won the FedEx cup back in 2014. Here's some other guys that have won six times on tour. Bill Haas, um, Padraig Harrington. You've got uh, Stuart Sink. Um, you have got, uh, who we got here? Mayhem. I think has got six wins. You know, so these are some guys that um, you start to kind of see, all right, Billy's starting to move into this six win category. And I thought his, um, I thought his interview afterwards was spot on. He's like, I just need to be more consistent. I know I can play with the best players, but now I've got to be more consistent and not have those lulls because you look at Billy statistically, I mean, he'll go seven or eight events and he's clean strokes gain approach. I mean, really good stuff. Bermuda greens. He's one of the best. Um, and then all of a sudden there's six or seven events and he's just losing strokes all over the place, you know? So he is kind of that inconsistent player. He knows how to win his next seems step now is maybe to win a major. He's 34 years of age. Can Billy Horschel win a major championship coming up here, let's say, in the next three years? I mean, he, he, he could. Uh, I, I don't think there's any reason to say he can't. You, you know, you win. I think he won two of the FedEx Cup events, that the playoff events that year when he won. But, I mean, I'm looking at his major record right now. He's got one top 10 yep. in 28 starts. And it came US in his second, his second major ever, the 2013 US Open. He played the 2006 US Open, I would guess, as an amateur. He missed the cut. Then he finished T4. 2013 and then he's got no finishes better than t17 in his 26 major starts since um so i don't know what that i don't know what that is you know he doesn't seem like someone who'd be sort of awed by the big moment he's played well in match plays won a fedex cup so clearly and he's won six times he's played with pressure before but that major record is is pretty abysmal for a player who's been basically top 50 in the world for seven or eight years by now and and he knows that he said yesterday in his in his press conference they were, he, he's talking about what are my goals and, and, and to be fair, he couched it with, this is going to sound ridiculous because I have one top 10 in the major, but I want to win five more times, uh, get to 10 wins and have four of those be the four majors and then one be the players, which of course it's a pipe dream, but there's something to be said for shooting for the stars and ending up on the clouds. But then he mm-hmm. said, look, I only have one top five in a major, which, which struck me. And then I looked up his record and, and his record is re- like he said, really, really poor in the majors. I mean, he's made. 18 of 28 cuts. So it's not like he's out there embarrassing himself, but he's only, and I don't remember the 2013 US Open well enough to know if he was actually in contention or if he kind of backdoored to T4, but the game doesn't really seem to translate to majors for for whatever reason. Yeah, his best finish, let's see, at Augusta was T17 uh, at the PGA T23 Open T30. To your point, US Open, his only top 10 uh, was T4. So yeah, he... He really hasn't been a factor at all uh, in major championships for a guy who's won six times. I'm just looking at him statistically, and it always it just amazes me here as I as I look at these. I mean, he he is the definition of a streaky player. I mean, he just is. I mean, and, and but but I think the downside is is it's kind of in all facets of the game. I think his short game has always been kind of like the opportunity for him. Like it tends to not be the top shelf short game that we would see. 
from a Justin Thomas, right? From a John Rahm. Um, but, and his putting seems to be kind of his strength, and particularly on Bermuda, like he is a very good short putter. You know, he kind of grinds there in, uh, on the greens. Um, but even in saying that, his putting will go away for a month on end. Um, his approach game will be really good, and then it'll go away for like, and just be bad for like five or six weeks. He drives the ball pretty decent. Um, but I just think like when you look at today's game, you know, certainly he's given up a little length off the tee, but his approach game, I think is probably where the issue comes in. The approach game is not that maybe top shelf elite level. Yeah. You know, I think he's been, we'll out, he's been outside the top hundred. I think he's like, he came into this week, like 170th, maybe in yeah. strokes again approach. And I think yeah. he was like 115th last year. So, but yeah, he's hard to predict. Like look at his last four starts. He goes T2 at concession hangs around the entire day. I think he played with Morikawa in the final round, even Morikawa kind of won comfortably, but he finished second. I mean, he was right there. Misses the cut uh, at Bay Hill T 58 at the players. And then he wins the match play. So he's, he's a hard one to get your finger on. You just, you just never really know what you're going to, what you're going to get, but like, that's okay. You know, not yeah. everyone is going to be that's right. John Rahm and not yeah. everyone is going to be, you know, Justin Thomas where they're top 10 every single week. The guys won six times. That's right. You'd much rather in today's PJ tour with how, how the, the points work and the money works and, and the world rankings work. You'd much rather go win, miss cut, win, miss cut than T20 every week, you know? So there's something to be said for capitalizing when you have an opportunity. And he's, he's done that six times now, which is like you said, I mean, he's, he's more than halfway to 10 wins. It's been a great career. Looking at some of these other names, uh, seven wins, Jeff Sluman. That's kind of a interesting comparison, you know, kind of player that's, as uh, as Billy Horschel, you know, it's yeah. When he shows up, he he's he's not afraid to win. I mean, he or not, yeah, I mean, he's not afraid to win. He'll he'll put some away for sure. Um, winning a major, I think that's an interesting conversation to be had on a player who's won six times with given that track record. Um, I got to ask you this, Kevin Na, <laughs> and the Dustin Johnson match on Friday. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm I'm usually let a lot of things kind of roll off me, and I'll just not comment, be very passive with things. But I got to tell you, this one. This one really kind of irked me the way it went down um, watching Dustin Johnson putt the ball on Friday up the hill, misses it to the left, you know, six inches from the hole. And Dustin stood there for a while in disbelief that the ball went to the left. Like it wasn't like he just went up in anger and slapped it away. I mean, he stood there. And then in his own gait pattern, eventually turned and moseyed up to the hole. Meanwhile, uh, Kevin Na has been standing on the top side of the hole the whole time. Sees where the ball is, plenty of time. And DJ rakes it away, and then we have the situation where Kevin Knott, in my eyes, took it upon himself to make an example out of DJ from six inches on national television. That's the decision he made at that point in time rather than handling it on the way to the next tee if it was that big of an issue to him, which it clearly was. How did you see it? You know, I rewatched the clip this morning, um, and, and what stuck out is kind of what you mentioned. It wasn't like the ball had just barely stopped moving and he quickly raked it away, which is kind of what happened. You know, everyone was making the comparison to what happened with Sergio and Kuchar a couple years ago at the match play. Mm -hmm. And that one, I mean, the ball had barely stopped moving when Sergio picked it up. Right. DJ stood there for like five or six seconds. He did. I mean, at least. So it wasn't like, and, and I think what Nas said afterwards was, I didn't have a chance to say it's good. You know, you, you had every chance to say it was good. I mean, you were standing right on the other side of the hole and the ball was right there. Um, and then, yeah, there's the, the two things that make it worse. Like, look, if you want to have that, first of all, it's ridiculous that you didn't say it's good right away. Second of all, if you want to have that conversation with DJ and you want to tell him like, Hey man, just wait, do it on the walk. These guys, 
Dustin Johnson and Kevin Na are both, I think they're both 36 or 37. They've been pros for 15 years. They know exactly where the cameras are. They know exactly how this works. They know when they can have a conversation without the cameras and a conversation with the cameras. And Kevin Na made a point not to let it go and make his putt. He did it on the green in close proximity to the hole where he knew the, the green side camera would be there. So he wanted everyone to see. I don't know if it was a way for him. You know, he had lost his first two matches and he kind of is a fringe Ryder Cup. I mean, he's he's not going to make it on points likely, but he's a guy that, you know, with a, with a couple of strong showings could be in the conversation. Maybe he wanted to shift the attention away from his poor showing in the first two matches, but it was, it was like a bit of a watch this show. And then, and then I think people maybe forget it's the second straight week. He's pulled something kind of fast at the, at the players two weeks before. Remember he was fine. I think he was one over par goes to 17, makes an eight pulls out right away. And, and I watched, I watched basically his whole his whole round because he was he was playing with with Fitz, who's you know I'm like super partial to. So I was mm-hmm. watching their match. I was watching their round. He, Fitz was playing with with Nod, the players. He was fine. Right. He was totally fine. Yeah. And the other guys in the group noticed that he was fine, and then he pulled out. And I think everyone in the field noticed that he was fine, and then he pulled out. And so, two weeks in a row, you've got this guy who's a 37 year old veteran who's doing these things that are just like, why are you doing that? Um, and it's amazing, you know, in an individual sport like this, people just don't forget. Yeah. This will be, you know, for the next couple of months, this will be something that people bring up with Kevin Na. So it was definitely a choice, and he'll, uh, he made his bed, and now he'll have to sleep in it. Well, I put it out there on Twitter and Instagram, and I would say that 75% of the feedback, and I got a lot of kickback, were against me. Like, he did the right thing. Like, interesting. Um, and now, I think my statement may have came across where I was like, it's okay to bend the rules or something. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what you're saying. I mean, of course you got to play by the rules. I mean, that is, that goes without saying, and I'm not suggesting that I'm backing DJ. If he was trying to break the rules, I'm not, if he broke a rule, he should be penalized, but there's a way to handle that situation, especially from two experienced players. And and the, my whole beef was he had plenty of time, plenty of time to make yeah, like, that what, good. what was he waiting for? What was he going to do? Was he going to yeah. give it to him after, after that? Like, or, you know what I mean? That's that's yeah. what's just, that's suspicious to me. Is like, what was his plan? Yeah. Because if he was if he was going to give it to him, he would have already given it to him. So you almost wonder like, was it? Did it play out exactly how he wanted it to play out? Like, how, what was his? I think and then, it did. And then, and then to be fair, did. to be fair, he birdied three of the last four. Yeah. I mean, he definitely he was fist pumping and walking him in. I mean, he he was maybe he just wanted to spice him up the match and 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 you know keep himself in it and make it fun for himself because he was going home anyway. I mean, he beat the world number one, birdied the last two holes to do it. Pretty impressive. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. I, I don't yeah. think it was. I think he wanted to make it a statement right there. He wanted to make an example out of DJ, flip the switch for whatever, you know, that motivation was, which maybe was to get him going or get in DJ's head or both or send a statement to Steve Stricker or all of the above. I don't know. I think there's a there's a lot of things in play, but I think he did exactly what he wanted to do. It wasn't a coincidence that he was like, I'm going to make like I'm going to make an example out of this right now in front of national television on the number one player in the world. DJ didn't need the information. I think you just walk away, right? If you're going to handle it in, in the way that I think it should be handled, I'm like, hey, man, you know, just just don't rake it away quite as soon because I'd hate for something weird to happen from like that two, three foot range that might be kind of iffy in the wind, right? Like it, where it could be up in the air and I hate for you to do something um, that we would both regret. We're talking six inches here. <clears throat> yeah, talking, it was, a, yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyway. We could go on for an hour. I, well, I loved, I loved, I loved uh, the way DJ handled it. You know, yeah. classic DJ. He was like, "Your call, bro. Like, if you want to call me on it, you call me on it." Like, you know. But I, 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 I will say the way that they, the way he walked away after the conversation and the fist bump on eighteen was pretty icy. And oh. and you know, and you know, DJ's going to be on the team. So 
Yeah. If you wanted to make yourself, you know, a favorite of the guys, that probably wasn't the smartest move in the world. And yeah, that didn't that didn't sit well, DJ. And I, and I know now I know Kevin downplayed it in the interview. Trust me, it didn't sit well, DJ. It didn't sit well with anybody. You don't you don't pull that. You know, like you pull that on the number one player in the world. No, obviously, like this isn't Patrick Reed here. Like DJ's never pulled anything. If anything, he's been so unaware of the rules like at whistling straights that it's that it's come back to hurt him he's not so it's, if, if there's one guy that you're going to pull it on who's going to be like really and i think everyone on tour would be like really it's dj <laughs> all right let's move on here we have the double hitter we had the corrales which um this was fun you know the corrales championship there in the dominican and i mean two good guys right damon and campos down the stretch and i gotta tell you you know damon won his first event and then listening to both of those interviews, I liked them both before this, but I love them both even more. I mean, just a couple of good guys. Um, it really hits home for me because Joel, <clears throat> excuse me, Joel Damon uh, is from Clarkston, Washington. And then his caddy, uh, Gino Bonelli, is from Lewiston, Idaho. And that's where I went to college is in the Lewis and Clarkson Valley, Lewis and Clarkson State Valley. So Gonzaga is up in Spokane. And then you basically, <clears throat> you just come down a little bit south, probably, I don't know, an hour and a half. And you're in the Lewis and Clarkson Valley. And that's where these two guys are from. So I know the area well. I lived in Clarkson when I went to college. It's a beautiful part of the country. Ready for this? Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a... Wow, the visual. Yeah, we're going to give you the visual. Here's the state of Idaho, right? And now you kind of understand, too. Can you read that? Um, Yeah, how cold it is. Yeah, right. (laughs) Cold, cold, cold. So you can kind of get an idea with, you know, Joel and and Gina. Like, these are good people up here, right? These are good people. They know how to have a good time. And so here's Lewis and Idaho right here. And then right across the Snake River is the Clarkson, Washington. So this beautiful river separates them. It's where the Snake River meets the Clearwater. And it's just a great part of the uh, country. There's a lot of good players actually down there as well. There's four, go- there's four golf courses. But that's where these guys, as, as Joel put it, two golf dorks growing up. <laughs> you know, and, um, and Joel goes out and gets his, his first win. And let me tell you something. Joel was struggling. Um, last seven events, six missed cuts. His name was up on the leaderboard a lot. A year ago, he made some good money, but he was really struggling uh, with his game coming into this kind of hit the reset button. And uh, he went out there and played some great golf in very tough, windy conditions. And here he is now, a PGA Tour champion. Uh, it, uh, that was a pretty good feel-good story. What wasn't it with these guys? Very, very good feel-good story. I mean, Damon's got one of the, the true rags-to-riches story. I wrote, a, um, I wrote a piece about, we called it PGA Tour Sugar Daddies uh, in the last Golf Digest. And it was about basically guys who had wealthy individuals bankroll their their chase for the PGA Tour because they had, you know, if you're Matt Wolf or Colin Morikawa or Jordan Spieth, and you're signing big money deals with TaylorMade and AT&T or whatever it is. But the vast majority of pro golfers aren't getting that endorsement dough, and and playing professional golf is not cheap. You know, it can playing the mini tours for a full year run you about fifty grand. So if you have no endorsement money and you're not playing for on the PGA Tour where you know a, a T15 can get you all you need for the whole year. It's tough. And so Joel had this had this guy, Bobby Situs, in his corner, who he met during a practice round for the 2009 Washington State Amateur. Mm. Happened, to, happened to be paired with his son. Bob was caddying for his son that week. Joel ends up winning the tournament by six. They stay in touch. And Bob basically pays for Joel's life until he gets to the Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. Four, and Joel played four years, I think, on the Canadian Tour. I mean, it was not fast. Joel, I think Joel's, what, 31, 32? He's not super young. Yeah, no. No, he doesn't. It does not come from a lot of money at all. So this was this is a real, real. He's got seven million in career earnings now, and I want to read this clip that my boss did. We did an interview, a big interview with Max Adler. I mean, uh, Max Adler did a big interview with Joel Damon a couple of years ago, and he asked him, "Still waiting on PGA Tour win number one, but beyond that, would you rather win a major or the FedEx Cup?" And here's what Joel said: 
FedEx Cup without question. The top guys might be concerned with leaving their mark on history, but I want to leave a mark on my family. 15 million would impact my kids, my grandkids. My caddy just bought a new house. Granted, Gino's wife has a good job, but that move was directly related to my actions. If you said right now I could make 1.5 million every year for the next 12 years, keep keeping my card without ever winning a trophy, I'd take it. The kids coming on tour nowadays are ready to win right away, and that scares me. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable honesty. Wow. I mean, this is a guy who came from nothing, and he's now making generational wealth for his family. It's it's uh, sometimes we we lose sight of of, of just how life changing all this can be for some of these guys. Yeah, this is a this is a big time life changer for both of them. And Gino, um, was quit his job to take the caddy job with a young. I think I think his kid at the time was like six or seven months old. I mean, they weren't very old at all. And he quits his job and he goes out with Joel. Out on the mini tours. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's that is uh, that's an incredible story. There's a lot of guys that are doing that that you know that unfortunately don't make it. We know that it's a very competitive landscape. But here comes you know Joel's wife and says, "Look, I'm going to work two jobs, keep pursuing." Here comes Joel's caddy. Yeah, I'm in. Just had a baby, but let's go. <laughs> you know, um, and you know, it's just a the one thing I love about the people up there and and you know, I'm partial to this cause I'm from up there. It's just a really nice spirit about them, you know, like a really good spirit of people who uh, really want a lot of good for a lot of people, you know, and they want to go out and pursue. Um, but that ongoing spirit and care and just kind of, I don't know, happy go lucky in some way, really appreciative of what they have. Um, there, there's, they're a good they're a good example of the people uh, that are like that up there. And uh, I know that Lewiston Clarkson Valley, okay, they call it the banana belt. Uh, they're really proud of those two guys because, uh, you know, they, I'm sure, are coming back and giving back and parting with their friends and being as generous as Joel to your answer there to your question about leaving that legacy of money uh, to his people. So it'd be fun to see how these guys go now. <clears throat> Excuse me, how these guys go now um, once they get back out there on the PGA tour. And, and, uh, and like I said, Joel was competing. I mean, he was, he was, his name was up there all the time last year, it seems like. And then he would kind of fade a little bit on Sunday, but you could tell like this guy belongs. And now can he propel this to maybe a really long lasting career on the PGA tour, um, which would be a really cool story. So this week we got the Valero, uh, decent field DJs there. Nas not, um, we got Scheffler, uh, we got Jordan Spieth. Spieth's back, right? I mean, Spieth is back. A win is coming this year, maybe. Oh yeah, I think a win is definitely coming this year. I mean, I, I, if you look at the, uh, I don't know if you look at the Masters odds recently, he's like fourth favorite now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, of course, that's them counting on the public being suckers and and seeing Spieth and wanting to jump at it. But he looked good again this week. Kind of ran into a tough draw. Kuchar played really nicely to beat him. I think they were both like five or four under in the in their in their uh, matchup. But he got out of a tough group. He beat Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. Um, he tied Wolf. He really should have won that match. I think he, he lost the last two holes. Um, beat Cordy Connors pretty easily. Wedge game looks really good. He's got this kind of low cut with the driver that he's really trusting. Um, he's got the swag back. I'd be surprised if he doesn't have finished in the top 10 at the Masters. I really think he's playing that well. Um, and it's great to have him back. <laughs> he is great. He's great television. Oh. Um so yeah, speed is good. I'm I'm surprised how good the field is. I'm always surprised how good the field is the week before a major. Like if I were me, I mean, granted, I've never I'm not playing any majors anytime soon. But I'm saying, <laughs> if I were playing a major, I think I, especially the Masters, you know, you want to get up there on Sunday and 
hang out, get comfortable in the house, but you know, teach their own. And there's a lot of guys. Tony Finau is playing this week. Hideki is playing this yep. week. Hideki for the guys, first time. Yeah. A lot of guys like to kind of play the week before. So it's interesting yep. to me. I never really understood it, but obviously it works for some guys. I think it's a decent field. I really do. I think this is a pretty decent field at a very tough golf course. Um, the Oaks course, uh, 10 to 20 mile an hour winds. I mean, that starts jacking up the 25 and you got your hands full at that place. I mean, it feels like you're going to fall off the earth on a few of those holes out there. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good field. And, um, yeah, I think Spieth is back fourth at waste management, third at the AT&T pro-am 15th at Genesis fourth at eight. I mean, he's rattled them off. And, um, if he can, he can just keep that little cut in front of him, and, you know, off the tee and, and just get the momentum of the round going, the rest of it will take care of itself. The iron game's back, the putting's back and, uh, he'll figure it out. He's, he's, he's speed. He's a genius. I mean, he's going to, he's putting the pieces back together. And when he wins, that's going to be a big moment for golf. That's going to be a big, big moment for golf. And what a great comeback from just, you know, from where he was. Yeah. And I think when you said how smart he is, people always ask me, you know, not always, but I've been asked a few times recently, Oh, why can't he win? What's his problem on Sundays? And I, uh, and I don't know if this is like a real thing, but I think to myself, he's too smart to be like a choker. Like he, he, he can draw on those memories of, of 2015 to 2017 when he closed out so many tournaments. Um, and I just think he's, yeah, I just think he's too smart. I don't know if that's yeah. a, a thing, but I feel like he's too intelligent of a person. He knows too much. He's, he knows how he's closed out tournaments before. He knows what it takes that I wouldn't be at all, at all concerned. And it's so funny because two months ago, speed has finished, you know, he's gone. It was a joke on golf Twitter. And now he's basically Tony Finau. Everyone's like, why hasn't he won yet? You yeah. know, like, let's give the guy some, Let's give yeah. the guy a break. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised he's playing this week, but I, I, I really do expect him to be to be in the mix at Augusta. And you're right. How electric would that be? I mean, I don't think I don't think apart from, you know, Tiger, who's not playing and, and Rory having the, the career slam potential. But you know, his swing is all over the place right now. Jordy's probably the fan favorite going into Augusta. I think Spieth would be a bigger story than Rory winning. I really do. Yeah. It might be. I mean, coming back after all that, he's mm-hmm. that would be his fourth major. You know, he's still only 20, 27, I think he is. So, yeah, I would love it. I need it. Oh, oh, it would be it would be enormous uh, for the game. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I said with Spieth, look, he, he's going to have to piece this back together. This is just not all of a sudden he's back. The lights on like he, he has to. OK, I've got to have a good round and then another good round and then another round where I don't hit it out of bounds and then another round where I don't snap hook it. And, that you know, like. I mean, he was beat down. He lost his putting. I mean, he lost the most important club in his bag. And then he lost his ball striking completely. I mean, he was a mess. So he had to get the putting back. Then he had to get to where he could just find his golf ball again. You know, like mm-hmm. don't snap hook it twice around, which seems weird to, to say, but that's what he was doing. I mean, he was yeah. he was hitting the ball out of bounds. And when you start hitting the ball out of bounds and giving the best players in the world and then you, you know, strokes and then you're, you lose your putting on top of it. You put all that pressure on your putter. Like you can't compete. So I think he's, I think he has started to clip it back. You can see the confidence, you know, it's, it's growing. I think it's just, just keep it in front of it. Keep the ball in front of him. It just, it's baffling to me that he didn't go to the fade earlier off the tee. Maybe it took Butch to say something to him. I don't know. Um, but it's just baffling. It took as long as it did just to find something off the tee to create some sense of momentum where just let the guy go with an iron in his hand and he's going to find it. I mean, he is going to score um, with his irons and his wedges and his putter. Yeah. And, and the thing that's most encouraging to me about the cut is it's not short. It's like 172 to 174 ball speed. Yeah. You know, you get that on firm fairways, that penetrating ball flight, and it's rolling well past 300 yards. So he's he's added some speed as well. I really like that shot. I mean, I know yeah. Augusta's 
generous off the tee and you know he's going to have to move it right to left on some holes but i think that is a stock shot like you said i mean he's just if he can just drive it average yeah he's going to have a good he's going to have a good chance with how good the approach play has been and that's one it's another thing i think people underrate about jordan speed when he was you know 2015 16 he was like second in strokes gained approach one of those years and i think he was top 20 the other like he was his his approach play his iron play and his wedge play was yep putting was obviously incredible but so was the approach play and I think he's gained approach in like six straight starts now, pretty significant numbers. That's mm-hmm. a really, really good sign. It's a really good sign. It is a good sign. And, you know, his short game is still right up there as well. That guy chips in more than anybody I've ever seen. Um, and we know what he does with the putter from 30 feet, <laughs> 25 feet. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's going to be fun to watch, man. Hey, I know you're a busy man. I know you got some golf coming up too. Um, have a good trip. Thank you. And I enjoy your work. Go, go, uh, Go check out Daniel. It's uh, Daniel underscore Rappaport, A-R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T on Twitter. He's with Golf Digest. We'll have you back again. And um, Valero, Texas Open, the winner's going to be, well, I can't tell you right now because I got to do another show. It's called The Matchup, and that's where we go through it all. So check it out. That'll be Tuesday on the Stripe Show, and I'll give you some, uh, give you some feedback on how to make some money and who the winner's going to be. Daniel, thank you. Play good golf. Enjoy the Masters. Yeah, thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.